You're listening to the My Victory Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to My Victory Church. Yes, I am still in quarantine, only a few days left, but who's counting? This guy. Uh, But let's welcome everyone joining us today, not in quarantine, at one of our five physical locations. So let's welcome everyone joining us today in Tabor. Joining us with Pastor Renee and Jill, welcome to you guys. Welcome Lloyd Minster with Pastor Mike and Kara, welcome to you guys. Welcome Okotoks with Pastor Joel and Tanisha, welcome to you guys. Welcome everyone in Claire's home with Pastor Brian and Heidi. And hey, Claire's home, it was Heidi's birthday last week. Give her a big hand. Happy birthday to you. Welcome Lethbridge with Pastor Ralph and Cindy. And Lethbridge, uh, Monday is Pastor Ralph's birthday. Give him a big hand. Uh, We love you guys. And uh, welcome everyone that's joining us online, in quarantine or not. You are a very big part of our congregation. We're glad that you're joining us. Today, we're in part three of our series, Fill in the Blank. And we began the series actually a couple months ago, before we ever got into preaching it. We sent out uh, Facebook ads. And the first ad we sent out was simply, we just asked people to fill in the blank, complete this sentence, Christianity is. And we asked people to just give us any adjective that comes to mind to describe Christianity in their mind. And the response was amazing. Actually, we had lots of responses come in, and overwhelmingly, they were negative. It was hard-pressed to find anything positive from anyone that to say anything good about Christians or Christianity. Well, the following week, we took out another ad, and we asked people to complete the sentence, Jesus is. And just like we were hard-pressed to find anyone to say something positive about Christianity, in contrast, we couldn't. it was hard for us to find anyone to say something negative or overly negative about Jesus. And it's amazing to me that that contrast got me thinking and saying, well, Christian means Christ-like. We're supposed to be, as the church, as Christians, we're supposed to be Christ-like, just like Jesus, yet people have nothing good to say about us, and they don't have anything bad to say about Jesus. So what's the contrast? What's the difference? Well, in this series, we've learned that not Christianity wasn't always hated, that there was a time that Christians, even though they were persecuted and killed, that even those who uh, were persecuting them, trying to get rid of Christian Christianity, still respected them and still valued what they believed and, 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 you know, honored them for their stance and for what they did in the community, admired them really for what they did in the community. And much like in Jesus's time, we, we, you know, learned that in Jesus's time, the, the people were separating into two camps, uh, you know, in multiple places, there was either Jew or Gentile or Pharisee and, and sinner or, I mean, pure Israelite and Samaritan, which was kind of a half-breed. They had their own little territory. And so there's, there was separation. And yet in, in Jesus' life and ministry, he seemed to love crossing over from one camp into another. And I think that's a big contrast to human nature. That's a big contrast to who we are today. And one of the reasons why I think people disdain and, and have hatred towards Christians is because they see us as separating ourselves into camps. We're, you know, we're Christian. We vote one way and we, you know, believe one way and and we we are very we make it very aware to everyone what we stand against and who we stand against. And we put ourselves into our own camp and others into that camp. And people feel 
really um, you know, upset about that, crit- criticized by that, feel like they don't belong. And I think that's why people point their finger at us and, and with so much hatred and vile, easily at us. Where Jesus, he broke the norm. He would cross over regularly into camps that a Jewish rabbi should never have been in. We saw that last week in his, his hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and, and being with them. Well, this week I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine, and he brought up a, a, a scripture that I was like, I got to study this out. And so I have been all week. It's found in, in Mark 5. Actually, it's Mark chapter 5, 6, 7. And Mark chapter 5, verse 1 says this. It says, and Jesus uh, crossed over to the other side of the lake. Now, what my friend brought up and brought to my attention is that he says, he said, Kelly, you know what's on the other side of the lake? And I was like, no, I mean, this, it's the Sea of Galilee. What was on the other side of the lake? He said, that's where the remnants of the seven nations of Canaan settled. And I was like, man, immediately, for those of you who are familiar with the story of Israel leaving Egypt and, and getting to their promised land, when they got to their promised land, it was the land of Canaan, and it was settled by seven you know, different nations. And God gave instruction to, to Moses and then to Joshua to conquer those seven nations. And in fact, God said, wipe them all out. Well, the Israelites didn't wipe out those seven nations, but they did conquer the, the promised land and did inherit their, the land of Canaan. And the seven nations that were there actually had to exit and, and move out. Where they settled was just northeast of the Sea of Galilee. And still, you know, thousands of years later, they're still there. And Jesus was doing ministry in Israel, in the land of Judea, in where, where the Jews were. And it says that Jesus got into a boat with his disciples and crossed over to the other side of the lake. Now, I never saw this before, but it was a big, big deal that Jesus went to that side. See, that's, Jews didn't go there. And certainly rabbis didn't go there. And, and in that side of the lake, they didn't welcome Jews or certainly not rabbis either. In fact, when Jesus got to the other side of the lake, the only person that welcomed him was a demon-possessed man who came screaming and said, hey, Jesus, leave me alone. Jesus cast out the, the devil in, in that man and, and sent the demons into a herd of pigs. The herds of pigs crashed over, you know, over a cliff into the sea. And, and you know, people came rushing out and were upset and were threatening Jesus and throwing away. And before Jesus left and crossed back over the lake to, to the land of Israel, he said to the demon-possessed man who's now healed, he said, go to the 10 cities and tell them all about me and what, what, what happened here. So he did. In, in chapter 6, Jesus crosses over again, and this time he's met by a crowd looking for healing and for miracles, and they were believing him. And in essence, in those three chapters, Jesus crossed over from one camp again to another camp and did ministry and a fascinating, fascinating part of that, those three chapters is just before Jesus crossed over the first time, he fed the 5,000. And, and remember in the feeding of the 5,000, there was 12 baskets of bread left over. Well, interestingly enough, when Jesus crossed over to, to the land of Canaan the second time, he fed the 4,000. And this time, there was seven baskets left over. Well, what's fascinating is that Jesus himself said, in describing himself as the Messiah, said, I'm the bread of life. And in essence, this miracle, 
He says, I'm the bread of life for the 12 tribes of Israel on that side of the camp, on that side of the lake, and on this side of the, the lake, I'm the bread of life too for the seven nations of Canaan. Even though, you know, Israel disobeyed and didn't wipe out those seven nations, Jesus didn't disregard them. He didn't ignore them. He ministered to them, making a very, very bold statement that he's for everybody and that he doesn't see camps. It's remarkable. The only camps we saw that Jesus identified, and we noticed this last week, is he identified the camp of the self-righteous, those who think they're too good for help, and the sinners, those who recognize they need help. And Jesus basically said that I can only help those who acknowledge that they need help. Well, I for one, I need Jesus. I need his help. I hope you do as well. And we don't have to be in, in that camp. But other than that, Jesus had no camps, which is why people respected him. And we need to be more Christ-like, more Jesus-following, not have the camps like he did and recognize that, hey, we're all sinners in need of a savior. Well, today I, I want to go into part three, and this one's a little bit different than, than the rest of the series. And the reason why it's different is because this week I want to talk about the Holy Spirit is. Now, what's different is I didn't take out a Facebook ad and ask people to fill in the blank with adjectives that describe the Holy Spirit. And the reason I didn't do that is because I, I didn't feel like those outside of the church would know the Holy Spirit enough to be qualified to be able to fill in the blank accurately. Um, I considered sending this to, to churches or to Christians and saying, you fill in the blank and, and tell me what you think. But I honestly, I didn't feel like as Christians in, in the church world that we were qualified to accurately fill in the blank either. And the reason why I felt that is because, well, I grew up in, in one camp and talk about camps, the church has been divided into basically two camps for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the two camps are, and I've in my lifetime have been in both sides, are those who don't believe, and this is what I grew up in, don't believe the Holy Spirit's for today, don't acknowledge uh, his, his working today, don't acknowledge the gifts certainly, and just basically say, we're, we're not going to talk about that part of the Bible. That was for the apostles. That's not for, for us. The other camp is the charismatic camp, which is, it's all about the Holy Spirit. He's today, you know, we emphasize basically his gifts and his working probably more than anything else, it, it really. And the problem is, is that, you know, there's, there are two camps that point fingers at one another and say, well, they're wrong and they're wrong and they're weird and, and they're mis they're not, they don't have the full gospel. And, and it just goes uh, back and forth. And I've been in both camps. And so because of that, I didn't feel like any one of us is qualified to fill in the blank. And because if you were raised in church, you've probably been in one camp or another, or maybe you're like me and been in, in both camps. And regardless of the camp that you were raised in or regardless of the camper that you're in now, what you believe now, we all have preconceived ideas of who the Holy Spirit is. And so I thought, none of us are really qualified to fill in the blank. And so I thought, let's, let's fill in the blank with, with what Jesus said and how he described the Holy Spirit and how his disciples and, and some of the early church leaders described the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give us a whole list of scriptures. I'm just going to read. We're going to look for... Filling in the blank, the Holy Spirit is. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to write down these references. I'm going to go through them quickly. Write them down. 
I'd encourage you to study this out yourself. We're going to simply fill in the blank with what Jesus said, who the Holy Spirit is. Jesus started the conversation uh, about the Holy Spirit with his followers in John 14. Uh, In verse 26, he said this, But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. So Jesus called the Holy Spirit. He filled in the blank with the Holy Spirit is the helper. Well, how would he help? Well, Paul described this a little bit further in Romans 8, uh, 26. And he says, now in the same way, the Holy the, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for. For as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So here we see the Holy Spirit. He helps how? He helps our weaknesses. That's good. Uh, I need that. I'm sure you do as well. It also, Paul also said, he, well, He intercedes for us. So besides being our helper, Paul would fill in the blank in saying the Holy Spirit is our intercessor. He also helps in other ways. Jesus went on in John 14 and describing the Holy Spirit. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. There it is again. The Amplified Bible puts in brackets this. I love this. Comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby. How did Jesus fill in the blank? Well, the Holy Spirit's your helper. He's your comforter. He's your advocate. He's your intercessor, which is what Paul already said. He's, he's your counselor. He's He's a strengthener. He's a standby. And Jesus says, I'm going to ask my Father. And how many know that if Jesus is praying, God is going to answer. I'm going to ask, and Jesus is asking because he thinks this is important. To, and he's asking that the Holy Spirit be with us forever. Then he went on and said, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive and take to its heart, um, which is part of the reason why I felt is not adequate, or accurate would have been accurate, or the, the, the those outside on Facebook had qualified to, to say that Jesus himself said, they don't know who he is, they can't receive him, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, talking to believers, because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be in you. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, fill in the blank, the Holy Spirit is a gift to believers, specifically to believers. Peter said this in Acts chapter 2, and in the very first sermon preached at the launch of the early church, he said, Peter said, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that's salvation, right? And the result, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter would fill in the blank in saying the Holy Spirit is a gift. A gift from who? From God, from from Jesus, from, from the Father. For who? For believers, when you receive salvation, you're given this gift. I like gifts, don't you? John 16 says, and again, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And what's interesting about this is is John 14, 15, 16, and actually chapter 17 is actually one communication Jesus is giving to his disciples only days before he's to be arrested and and crucified. So this is one of the most important things that he's trying to impart to his disciples. And he says this in verse 12 of John 16, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them at this present time. Interesting. Um, This is, again, days before he's to leave them and they're launching the church. But yet he says there's much more to say. Then he goes on, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, 
He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take from mine and will disclose it to you. Jesus filled in the blank. The Holy Spirit is. He's going to be a guide. He's also going to be, the Holy Spirit is, a direct line of communication with me, with God. Powerful. Paul said to the church in Rome, in Romans 15, verse 13, said, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when God fills us, fills us with joy, that becomes our strength. As Nehemiah said, Nehemiah 8.10, when he gives us a peace that passes all understanding, which is what Peter said, when he gives us a hope that is an anchor for our soul, which is in, in the book of Hebrews, how do we get that joy, that peace, that hope? Jesus said, you know, Paul said, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is our source of hope, of joy, of peace, and he gives it to us by his power. Paul said to the church in Ephesus in in Ephesians 3, verse 16, he said that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the power of his spirit in the inner self. So Paul will fill in the blank in saying, the Holy Spirit is our source of power and strength as believers. He said to the church in Corinth in, in 1 Corinthians 2, Verse 13, he says, we also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. In other words, what Paul's saying is, fill in the blank, the Holy Spirit is our source of supernatural wisdom. That there's natural wisdom that comes from what we learn and apply, but he says there's a supernatural wisdom that will come out of you as a believer that sometimes you'll just have this wisdom going, where did that come from? I didn't know I knew that. Where did that, you know, how did I know to say that? He says that supernatural wisdom is because of the Holy Spirit. Paul also said to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1 verse 13, he says, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, he's talking about the salvation process again, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. How do we fill in the blank? The Holy Spirit is our seal of salvation. In Acts 4, verse 31, it says, And when they, talking about the early church, had gathered and, and prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Who's the Holy Spirit? Fill in the blank. He is our source of boldness. Romans 5 verse 5 says, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Who is the Holy Spirit? He's God's love poured out on us. Titus said this in Titus 3. Verse 5, 6 said, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which He did in righteousness, but in accordance with His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. What's Paul saying here? He's saying the Holy Spirit is our great reset. So having read all of this, and there's much more, Do you want him? 
I wonder why there's so much controversy in the church in regard to the Holy Spirit. Why why denominations split up, churches split up, believers split up, one camp or another, depending on how we view and how we see the Holy Spirit. Basically, you'll choose sides based on how you fill in the blank. Why is there such controversy? Why is there such a battle? I think it's because if if the Holy Spirit is, as Jesus described him, as Paul described him, as Peter described him, as John described him, and he's all these things and more, then I don't think the devil would want you to embrace this kind of power inside you. He would want to limit our access to that power. I mean, this isn't a new battle. This, this battle and this, this you know, battle within the church, these two camps started right at the very beginning. Acts chapter 7, look at this, I mean, seven chapters into the launch of the church. It says this, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. You see, there's, it's easy for us as believers because we don't understand something. We don't know the purpose. We don't know how to fill in the blank. It's easy for us to resist the Holy Spirit because, well, I don't know. It's, it's just too controversial. I don't know. It's just, it's just not, it's not worth the fight. It's not worth choosing sides and being in a camp. Yet, listen, we can't resist the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is our our intercessor, if he's our helper, if he's our advocate, if he's our counselor, if he's our source of wisdom, if he's a source of power, if he's a source of boldness, if he's all these things, I think now more than ever, you know, they needed him then in the early church. I think now more than ever, if this is the last days and we're the church to usher in maybe the next, maybe Jesus return and a great revival, I think more than ever we need as the church, we need the Holy Spirit with us today. So, how do we receive him? Do we do an altar call? Do we, do we make a spectacle of something? How do we do it? Well, Jesus gave us that answer too. In Luke chapter 11, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks Finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, which one of you fathers will his son ask for a fish, and instead of a fish, he will give him a snake? Or he will even ask for an egg, and his father will give him a scorpion? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus instructed us how to receive the Holy Spirit. Ask, seek, knock to receive the Holy Spirit. We don't need to make a big show of it. Just in your private time, in your prayer time, say, God, I want to know more. I want to seek an understanding of who He is. I want to read these scriptures that I just went through again and, and know who He is. I think I want that. God, would you give me the Holy Spirit? Just simply asking. And if you seek it out, and if you knock, meaning you're just going to be persistent until you know that, that you know that you received him, God promises, hey, I'm going to give you him. And I, I like how Jesus contrasts and says, if, if you ask for a good thing you know, of your earthly father, he's not going to give you something deadly. If you ask God for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give you something weird, deadly, embarrassing. He's going to give you what you're asking for. What you're asking for is an advocate helper, 
a counselor, an intercessor, your source of power, your source of joy, your source of peace, your source of hope. You're asking for the Holy Spirit, a gift from God to you, a seal of your salvation. God's love personified. Today's takeaway is this. Ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks receives, and one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, next week is the conclusion of the series, and maybe the most controversial one yet. We did take out a Facebook ad on this one, and we asked people to fill in the blank, complete the sentence, the church is. Yes, we asked on Facebook for this one too. And the results may surprise you. And I, I don't want you to miss next week. It may be the most important Sunday you will attend this year. We're going to evaluate what the church is. And it's not what we understand it to be. And I think there's a lot of things in us as a church, as Christians, we need to reevaluate, reset, and potentially change. Don't miss next week. It's going to be vision. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be exciting. You're not going to want to miss it. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you that your word describes Holy Spirit. I thank you, first of all, for this gift that you have given to us. I pray that we would move past our preconceived thoughts, ideas of who Holy Spirit is. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to connect on another level with you. God, we're asking you for the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you promise when we ask, you will give. We commit that to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. In this moment, Jesus is saying to you, wherever you're at, follow me. He's saying, I'm not worried about your past, the things you've done. He's like, I'm worried about where you're at right here in this moment. There's many of you who have already made the decision to follow him. And you've experienced his goodness. But maybe you're here in this moment right now and you haven't made that decision. And you're feeling that little tug on your heart to take the next step. I want to encourage you to take that step today. It's not about joining a church. It's not about joining a religion. It's about starting a friendship with Jesus, your Savior, the one who created you on purpose and for a purpose, the one who has a plan for your life so great that it's hard to put into words. And you might be saying, how do I do that? What do I have to do? He makes it so simple. He says, confess with your mouth that I am Lord and believe it in your heart and you will be saved. So we're going to do that here in this moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I confess that you are God and I believe that you rose again from the dead. I ask you now to become my God, my Lord and my Savior and my friend. Thank you for dying on the cross and for forgiving me of all my sins. Thank you for accepting me just as I am. I give my heart to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'm just going to ask that you keep your heads bowed. But if you prayed that prayer for the first time, would you be bold enough to acknowledge it today by raising your hand? I'll just look around the room. If you're watching online, you can comment in the comment section. Thank you. Let's go look around one more time. If you need a Bible, we'd love to share one with you. We'd love to reach out to you and help you along the, the next step in your journey. So feel free to reach out to one of your campus pastors or someone in your community who you know is a believer. And we just want to help you know more about who God is, who Jesus is in your life. Thank you for joining us today on our My Victory podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out at myvictory.ca. If you'd like to watch our live stream, go to victorylethbridge.tv.